Welcome back to For the Girls. We are so excited for this episode today. We're doing a Canada preview and then a special deep dive segment on the one and only Daniel Ricardo, his early career, how he got here, some personal background. So definitely stick around for that. And as always, follow us on Instagram at F1RTheGirls. Send us any thoughts or ideas you all have. We love to hear from you. So we'll get right into it. I'm Sarah. I'm Chessa. And I'm Tiggy. So Canada, this is our first time back here since 2019 due to Canada's stricter COVID rules like Japan, Australia, Singapore. We have not raced here for a couple years. We are heading to the Gilles Villeneuve circuit. As we mentioned in our track Tuesday post on Instagram, the circuit is named after him. He is one of the most famous Canadian drivers alongside his son and only Canadian world champion Jacques Villeneuve. Sorry, Stroll and Latifi, you don't make the famous Canada drivers (laughs) cut quite yet. Um, But Gilles Villeneuve, he won the first race on this circuit in 1978. He was a Ferrari driver for six years, and he tragically passed away at the Belgian Grand Prix in 1982, and the track was renamed after him. And the track is on Notre Dame Island. It's surrounded by water, and it's just beautiful. Drivers notoriously love this track, so people are really happy to be back. Some of the characteristics, it's four kilometers long, 70 laps with two DRS zones. Some areas to watch out for, there is a really famous hairpin turn at turn 10. So definitely watch for a lot of overtake attempts here. The drivers have to brake super hard to slow down for this corner. So drivers experience almost six Gs, which is insane. They go from 210 miles per hour to a little over 80 miles per hour in just a tiny bit over a second. So just visualize that for a moment. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Giving me Top Gun Maverick vibes when they're up on the planes. There is also a wall, quote unquote, wall of champions. This wall is named because five world champions have crashed into this wall at the end of the lap at turn 14. So 1999, Damon Hill, Michael Schumacher, and Jacques Villeneuve all crashed into the same wall. Then Jensen Button hit it in 2005, Vettel in 2011. So there's some opportunities for world champions to hit this wall this weekend, perhaps <laughs> Max Alonso or Hamilton. Mostly we're assuming that Latifi will hit it, the champion of walls <laughs> will meet the wall of champions. And that was a meme that someone had made, so it's super funny. Latifi, we're looking at you, maybe trying to rein it in this weekend. <laughs> Botas holds the lap record here from 2019, Slay King. Maybe he can shake off Baku and come back strong here we hope. Also, this track has a lot of maiden victories. So Lewis had his first victory here in 2007, Robert Kubica in 2008, and then Danny Ricardo in 2014. And fun fact, the Grand Prix here in 2011 holds the record for the longest in history. It was over four hours, safety cars, heavy rain, race suspension, flag, red flag periods galore. Cannot even imagine driving a four-hour race, let alone <laughs> watching it. And so the last race here in was in 2019, as you said earlier. So it's been a minute. So to set the scene, Kvyat and Hulkenberg were still driving. Pierre was in Red Bull. So things were a little different. <laughs> Hamilton won. He tied Schumacher's record for the most wins in Canada at seven, but 
but this was not without controversy. There was a big Seb Lewis controversy. So Vettel won the race, but he crossed the line first, but then he got a five-second time penalty for failing to re-enter the track the right way while he was battling Lewis, so he dropped to P2. And Lewis, after, admitted that he had forced Vettel to run wide off the track, so... Definitely a little spicy. And there's that iconic picture of Vettel just like moving the the P1 placard from Lewis's car to his because he was annoyed about what happened. So today, I don't think we could imagine any of the drivers doing it. It would be so petty, but I think Vettel's allowed to do that just given the, the type of persona that he is. <laughs> it's a good reminder, though. I think even though last season was really contentious and drivers and principals can still get really petty, there has been some next level drama in the past, which hopefully we'll continue to get into on the podcast because some of these things are so spicy. But the rest of the grid, Leclerc was P3, Botas P4, Max P5, and our own Danny Rick P6. Yeah, it's so insane to imagine Seb doing that today. Now he's just like a climate change dad. And (laughs) (laughs) everyone has to start somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) But in terms of what kind of racing we can expect, it's a fast track, low downforce setups with a long straight. Like Baku, a lot of straight line speed considerations here. So Red Bull will probably look strong. There's pretty high tire deg with some of Montreal's weather extremes, and we'll get into the weather in a minute. But plus this track is really hard on the brakes, as we mentioned, with some of these really hard braking zones. So definitely watch for some smoky or fiery breaks out there. (laughs) And also, this is so random, but I was reading about this track and wildlife can actually be a concern on this island. There have been groundhogs, (laughs) apparently groundhogs that have crossed the track, I think every single race that they have raced here and they've caused front wing damage to cars. Obviously these groundhogs have met their demise, but one year Grosjean (laughs) was really frustrated over this because apparently there's not a lot the FIA can do to avoid it since they're the groundhogs are indigenous to the Island and they're protected animals. So maybe we'll see some groundhogs this weekend. (laughs) I think we should do a segment like which driver would swerve and try to protect the groundhog and which driver just would (laughs) keep plowing through. (laughs) Max would go straight through that groundhog. I think Vettel might protect the groundhog. Oh, good point. I'm going to go with everyone except Vettel kills the groundhog. Okay, there we go. So like Sarah said, the weather looks pretty horrible right now. So we'll see if that continues. There's been tornado warnings and a torrential downpour. We're coming. That's from Thursday. There's literal flooding in the pit lane. So the FIA made a special announcement allowing teams to close their garage doors because it was so bad. The track walks really didn't happen, obviously, because of the weather. So there's going to be rain predicted Friday and Saturday. We love a wet quality. Spice up the strategy a little bit. Yeah. So getting into some of the teams, starting with Mercedes, there were rumors earlier in the week that Hamilton wouldn't be able to race with his pain after Baku, but he will be there. He is there. He's been training with Angela, doing acupuncture, all of that good stuff. As a side note, he was listed fifth on the list of the most charitable British people this year in terms of percentage of his income donated. So we love to see that. Go Lewis. Good for him. Good for him. But I think along those lines about you know, Hamilton just being pretty injured from the pain. The team really has to figure out their porpoising. We talked about this in the recap about whether the team should be prioritizing driver safety. We'll talk about that a little bit as well. But the motorsport strategy director said that this wouldn't happen again. 
after what happened in Baku. So I wonder what that meeting was like. I think Mercedes had admitted they had pushed the drivers too hard, and I think it's all coming to a head now. And interestingly, one thing to watch out for is that Mercedes is now saying that porpoising and what they call bouncing are two different things. So porpoising refer back to our 2022 regulation episode. Porpoising has to do with the way the the air flows under the car and generates downforce with the floor. And so Mercedes kind of feels like they have porpoising more or less under control, but now they're dealing with bouncing, which is because these cars are run so low to the ground, since again, they're ground effect cars to generate that downforce. Bouncing seems to relate more to the track surface and the cars bottoming out over bumps, which would make sense why there were so many issues on street circuits in Monaco and Baku. So just another problem here. Potentially, these teams have figured out porpoising and then have horrific bouncing problems from actually just hitting the track. Let's hope Montreal is like Toto's marble table ideal. (laughs) (laughs) So Ferrari, they really need to bounce back from their double DNF. The team hasn't really given many specifics on the problem with Charles's power unit, but said it was sent to the factory to be assessed. But there's not a lot of time to assess that and then get it to Canada by today. So we'll see how that's looking And then for Carlos's car, they said there was a short-term fix for Canada for hydraulics issues, but that doesn't sound very reassuring to me. (laughs) It sounds like duct tape. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. DNFs aside, it ain't over till it's over. After Australia, Max was P6 in the Drivers' Championship, and Charles was 46 points ahead of him. Max is now 34 points ahead of Charles. So that change happened only in five races, so you never know. And this is also a good point to remember that last summer, the coverage was all the, all about Max running away with it, Lewis having no chance, and then it really came down to that last race. So it ain't over till it's over for Ferrari. We're still holding out hope. Yeah. After the Austrian Grand Prix last year, Max was 32 points ahead of Lewis. So wow. just for context, and it ended up coming down to the final lap. So definitely not over. And Canada's only raised 9 of 22. So literally anything can happen. You never know. Charles definitely isn't out yet, but there are some rumors that he's going to take a new turbo and an according 10 place grid penalty, which to me seems like horrible timing since it doesn't let him get any momentum back, but maybe the engine really wasn't that bad of shape. I don't know. Stay tuned. Yeah. You can't risk another DNF. I guess just rip the bandaid off and take an L for this and just set yourself up for the rest of the year. I don't know. That's a tough call. Red Bull, on the other hand, they'll likely look really strong here with the straight line speed. They're fresh off another one-two finish. I'm wondering, will Checo outqualify Max again, or has Ma- is Max coming back to squash all these Checo in championship contention storylines and wishful thinking? We'll see. I, I mean, I personally hope there's still Checo Max drama, and Checo oh, yes. stays really close to Max, but. I guess we'll see how that pans out. 100%. So McLaren, they're hot off their double points finish. Hopefully they can keep that momentum. This will only be Lando's second time racing at this track. And he didn't have a great outcome in 2019, but he said he feels confident, did some good sim work. So Danny, on the other hand, did say it's one of his favorite races. He has done very well here in the past. So Alpine, it could be a big weekend for the Alpine Rocket post Baku (laughs) with its straight line speed. Alonso has also been in good form this season, is clearly down to fight, also potentially hurt other people by going slowly when it suits him. (laughs) So... Legend. Okay, Alonso. Haas, this is Mick's first race here, 
And as we said, this track is famous for Maiden Victories. So throwing the hottest take ever out there, maybe oh, wow. <laughs> we'll have a P1. That's not my hot take for this week, but... <laughs> that would be our for sure level 10 spiciest take ever. <laughs> That's like a yes. one on 1,000 return there if we're doing sports betting. <laughs> it's like the Kentucky Derby this year, yeah. except times 100. But anyway, after Baku, unfortunately, Magnuson is still concerned about reliability. He has two DNFs from a mechanical fa- failures now power unit problem in monaco and then he also lost power in baku and i think the drivers just didn't feel like the car was super fast in baku all the ferrari powered teams seem to have started off really strongly with such high expectations and it's sort of going downhill from there but yeah i mean fingers crossed so for williams this is latifi's first home race very exciting for him he's got a lot coming for him with the wall of champions um (laughs) we he never catches a break on this podcast or any podcast (laughs) (laughs) we love him but there are big rumors on the williams front that oscar piastri the alpine reserve driver is going to replace latifi next year this could be announced in the next few weeks so basically piastri would essentially essentially be on loan to williams until alonso retires so this goes hand in hand with the fact that williams could be switching to using a Renault power unit next year and then become the first Alpine customer team on the grid. So that would be very exciting. One less Mercedes engine on the grid. And then for Alfa Romeo, Joe has had three mechanical failure DNFs in the last four races. His unluckiness is really up there this season. So hope it turns around for him. Botas also didn't have a great weekend and Baku thought the car lacked pace. It was his worst weekend of the year so far in terms of races he actually finished. Could be from the fact that they ran his car under an old pre-Barcelona spec, but we'll see. Hopefully they can get that sorted out. And then quick shout out to Aston Martin, to Vettel, because he's been on a bit of a roll and is great on this track. Pole in 2018 and 2019, maybe out there protecting groundhogs, but maybe getting another (laughs) strong points finish. Yeah. So speaking of hot takes, maybe I should have had my Vettel hot take this week instead of last week because he let me down. But alas, I am going with another former world champion hot take. I'm going with Alonso on podium. I think that's a great one. I want to see the Alpine rocket deliver the hype and I want to give him a little love after saying he should retire last episode. I still stand by (laughs) that a little bit, but I want to show him a little love because I do love Alonso. And then I'm also going to throw in Joe in the points. I'm really hoping for a good weekend for him. He's he's done really well, minus all his car issues. So I'm going to go with Hamilton on podium. Whoa, I think Sarah. Wow. Sarah. <laughs> I think he's good at coming back when he's down, as we saw last season. And he had a P4 in Baku under horrible conditions. So I don't know, especially if there's some rain, some weather, I think maybe you can make it happen. I guess I am feeling spicy. I'm going to go with a Carlos victory. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I love this. I'm I'm ready for spicier takes. My takes need to get spicier. I think, we, as we've been saying all season, Carlos needs his first win. And I think he might do better than Charles because I don't know how Charles... Carlos is used to having this type of pressure on him from underperforming. But I don't know how Charles is going to react to recent events (laughs) okay speaking of spicy takes i think mine's the spiciest i'm saying a maiden podium so someone who has never been on podium before will be on podium also more likely than that i think we'll see both alpines in the points and then i'll i'll go with both red bulls on podium as well so let's jump into big headlines this week biggest headline australian grand prix has been renewed until 2035 so obviously danny is ecstatic Similarly, on the McLaren front, Zach Brown actually went down to visit Vegas to watch slash supervise slash 
take Instagram videos of the construction for the 2023 (laughs) circuit. So a lot happening in Vegas. Also, I was very excited about this. Rumors of South Africa getting added back to the calendar. The race would be near Johannesburg, which last hosted a Grand Prix in 1993. So it has been a long time. Dominicali was in South Africa this week for negotiations. So it looks like it's closer to getting finalized. Fingers crossed. But I am super happy about a South African race. I would for sure go to that one. That would be a good for the girls trip. Yes, for sure. We will get more into this once this develops a little more, but a new story just today is that the FIA has reportedly stepped in on porpoising for safety purposes. So Mercedes' PR campaign worked really fast, but a lot of other teams also had big issues at Baku, including McLaren and Ferrari, and we're so happy to see the FIA really prioritizing safety here. They are going to define a metric based on the car's vertical acceleration that will set a limit for the acceptable levels of vertical oscillations. And there's also going to be a bit of closer scrutiny of the planks and the skids, looking at both the design and the post-race wear and the FIA specifically cited driver pain and back problems. So seems unusually efficient for the FIA. So good for them. (laughs) They're really on top of this one. Yes, super happy to see that. Women's health is so important and balanced hormones are key for that. We've been loving Hormone Harmony from Happy Mammoth, who's committed to making women's lives easier. Hormone Harmony contains adaptogens, science-backed herbal extracts that help the body adapt to stressors like hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. We love it because it helps us maintain optimal hormone levels and supports our mood and general well-being. There is a reason that one bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. For a limited time, you can get 15% off on your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use code F1R the girls at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code F1R the girls for 15% off today. Okay, friends, it's festival and concert season, and you know it's all about the boots this year. That's why you need to make Tacova's your number one place for festival style this spring. And don't forget to shop their seasonal and limited edition offerings, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. We love Tacova's. They have a first wear comfort, which basically means there's no break in period. It's the best thing ever. So stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, and shop new styles. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personal. Personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's really no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it to a store, though, just visit tecovas.com, T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Getting into our special topic, we are doing a Daniel Ricardo deep dive. Number three, the honey badger. Why are we talking about him today of all days? We're heading into Canada. He is definitely having his moment for sure. Drive to Survive has cemented him, has cemented him as a favorite character. He brings so much comedy and character to the sport. He's made a lot of waves with his brand shop and other cool things. Plus, we've talked a lot about him in the past few episodes in the context of his rough season and speculation over his future and potentially losing his seat. We, we know it may seem random to focus on him during the Canada episode, given there are two Canadian drivers. But like we said, Danny had his first ever Formula One victory at this track. And given all the speculation about his future, it seems like the right time to dive into his backstory. And sorry to stroll on Latifi, but we will not be doing future <laughs> episodes on you. <laughs> exactly. Sorry, guys. So to start off with a Quick fact of how good Danny is. Danny has won eight Grand Prix, 
which in terms of the current grid puts him in sixth place in terms of total number of victories. And so that puts him up there with the big heavy hitters. He's behind Botas, Verstappen, Alonso, Vettel, and Hamilton. So basically behind four world champions and Botas. So in very good company. Before we get into it, we wanted to talk first about what makes him such a strong driver in the first place. So he really has made a name for himself as being incredible at overtaking. One of his biggest strengths, he can do these really insane late-breaking lunging moves. And in 2017, he actually had the most overtakes of anyone in F1. And some of these moves are just Absolutely insane. So by way of example, if you haven't seen this, definitely check out his win in China in 2018. He started in P6 and won the race. And so on the way, he had really late-breaking overtakes on Hamilton, Vettel, Botas. And his move on Botas was absolutely insane. Like seriously, just Google this video. And that overtake got him the action of the year award voted by f1 fan i can't even emphasize it's as if they're so close to the corner there's absolutely no space on the inside and then daniel's just like a rocket ship just squeezing in a little non-existent gap and shooting off so fast so other really cool races to check out if you feel like doing a deep dive malaysia in 2016 he had a really great wheel-to-wheel battle with max and held him off the whole race And then, of course, we have to talk about Monza last year, a really dominant performance from him. And it also really shows how good he is in the sprint format. I think it goes well with his style, just being great at at overtaking and being a bit feisty during the race. Really great to see. Um, So let's start at the beginning. Danny has spent a decade in F1, so there's a lot to unpack here. He's actually one of the most experienced drivers on the grid. He's fifth in terms of numbers of Grand Prix. He's done 210 races, so he's just behind Alonso, Hamilton, Vettel, and Checo. So a real veteran here, despite his youthful energy. He's actually 32, so one of the older ones on the grid. He was born in 1989 in Perth, Australia. He's actually lived in Monaco for about 10 years, ever since he made his F1 debut um, at the age of 22. So his, he got into it uh, probably because of his dad, who's Italian. His dad was a weekend warrior kart racer. Um, and then in 1998, Danny began karting at the age of nine, which I think is awesome. We've talked about that before. And then fun fact about his number, when he got his karting license at that age, he was assigned the number three because his favorite racer is Dale Earnhardt. He has since kept that number. It's cute. So in... 2007, Danny began moving up in the world. He moved to Europe, to Italy to compete in Formula Renault. And then in 2009, he won the British Formula 3 championship. And he got in his first F1 laps as at a young driver test for Red Bull Racing. He made his F1 debut in 2011 at the British Grand Prix as part of a deal with Red Bull Racing. He was test driving under its sister team, Toro Rosso, which has now rebranded into Alpha Tauri. It's basically the Red Bull junior team. And then in 2012, he joined Toro Rosso for two seasons. Yeah. And then in 2014, he was promoted to the Red Bull team as a replacement for Mark Webber, who had retired. And he raced alongside Vettel for that. And I think it's pretty undisputed that the 2014 through 2018 years when he was at Red Bull were Danny's peak years. He won seven of the eight races total that he's won during that time. 
In 2014, he had his first three wins in Canada, as we mentioned, that maiden victory, Hungary, and then Belgium. And he finished third in the driver's championship behind both Mercedes drivers. So really awesome outcome for him in that year. He also outperformed his teammate Vettel, the four-time Red Bull champion. And Vettel came fifth in the driver's championship. And Danny actually finished 71 points ahead of him, which is crazy. And this was still when Vettel was in his prime. Vettel had been world champion from 2009 to 2013. So I think this really started the narrative around Danny being a top young talent in the sport and potentially future world champion material. So the year after that, Vettel left Red Bull to go to Ferrari and then Daniel Kvyat came to Red Bull with with Danny. Red Bull really struggled that year. So Danny ended up finishing eighth in the driver's championship. Kvyat beat him by a few points. So Danny wasn't really living up to the hype as being this next big big Red Bull guy. Um, But then the following year, he actually came third in the championship. So much better. He was the only driver to finish all 21 races. Fun fact, this was right around when the quote-unquote shoey hit mainstream culture in Australia. So when Danny was P2 on the podium for his 100th race in Germany, that's when he put the champagne in his shoe and it kind of took off from there. But then 2016, Dun Dun marks the arrival of Max Verstappen. So Kvyat was underperforming compared to Daniel. He got demoted mid-season in 2016 and Max got promoted from Toro Rosso. So the narrative was probably like, oh, Daniel's going to be the number one driver and is going to teach this young kid how to do things. But then Max shows up and wins his first ever race in a Red Bull. And Christian was really hyping up Max. So this was definitely kind of the a bit of foreshadowing here. And they had a big wheel-to-wheel fight at the Malaysia race in 2016, but they managed to race wheel-to-wheel without crashing. So it was still definitely teammate rivalry, but not too bad at that point. Then in 2017, Danny still beat Max in the Drivers' Championship, but Max got really close, and the relationship kind of really started to deteriorate. So in Hungary in 2017, Max wrecked Danny on lap one and admitted it was his fault, and Danny on the radio was yelling, like, was that who I think it was? Bleep, like, sore loser, called him an amateur. So the, the relationship was definitely souring. Yeah. And then I think in 2018, that's when things really start to go downhill. Max beat Daniel in the tri- in the driver's championship by 79 points. Damn. And that's so tensions- much. And Max, also for context, Max is only 20 years old. Yeah, it's crazy. He's also a world champion now. So I guess they start him young. But this is when tensions really started to boil over. I think Danny felt like the team was becoming quote unquote team Max and really viewed Max as their young rising star. While Danny's eight years older and did not want to be a number two driver. And again, this was the year of the infamous Baku incident, which we discussed where they wrecked each other. Then in a shock move that probably goes down as one of the most surprising moves in recent history, Daniel goes to Renault of all places. And Renault is now Alpine for context. Um, So going from a very top team to definitely more of a midfield team. And Christian very publicly expressed that he thought it was a bad idea. He said that Danny turned down a stratospheric offer to stay at Red Bull and that Christian had really tried to get him to stay. Yeah, it was a pretty wild move. Like Renault and Red Bull had had a lot of problems with the Renault engine being bad. And it wasn't as if he was getting pushed out of Red Bull. Christian had offered him a ton of money and then ended up being horrible timing because as we now know, Honda Power ended up bringing Red Bull back to the top as soon as Danny left. And so it's kind of well accepted that Danny left because he didn't want to become a number two driver, but that's a much debated topic now. And he's basically struggled in the midfield ever since with he's definitely had some bright moments like the 2021 Monza victory, but he's kind of just been on the struggle bus ever since leaving Red Bull. Yeah, I think 
Renault 2019 to 2020 wasn't like ideal for him, but in 2020 he did get Renault's first podium finish in nine years. So big moment there, I guess, for for Renault, for Danny. Um, but then in 2021, McLaren offered him a ton of money to leave Renault to race alongside Lando. Danny has really struggled to adapt to the McLaren. They spent a lot of money on his contract. He is one of the highest paid drivers. He was a huge acquisition for them. He's been struggling more than we expected last year and this year. His teammate Lando is is young, you know, coming up, rising the ranks. There is a big age gap, but maybe just the vibes aren't right between these two teammates. Yeah, we'll see. He's 11th in the standings right now this year and has never or has not finished outside the top 10 since 2013. So fingers crossed for him. But let's talk a little bit about his racing style. I think that is probably interesting to dig into. I think Danny, like all drivers, has had his radio and team meltdowns, especially when he was younger. But now he seems super professional, is always polite, keeps it together, including when he's really been struggling. He's always smiling. But Danny has found, like we said, the McLaren pretty hard to drive, not suited to his style. He said it was harder than the Red Bull to Renault transition. So that's pretty wild. But I think a lot of the issue seems to be that Danny likes to break a bit earlier going into the into a corner if he's not overtaking. So he's a late breaker when overtaking, but not on a normal lap. So he's not super hard on the brakes and likes to carry the speed through the corners. And the Red Bull has had strong front grip that allowed him to do this, whereas the McLaren, I think, has a bit more understeer. So Danny's style has caused more problems with the car rotation on the corner. Meanwhile, in comparison, Lando really doesn't mind having a bit of understeer and brakes later and can carry more speed on the exit. But it kind of begs the question, how much does driving style make a difference after a year and a half? Should Danny have figured it out by now in terms of adapting his style? Or should McLaren have figured out how to adapt the car setup to what he likes? But Danny has had some really bright moments at McLaren. He won in Monza last year, which was their first victory since 2012. So really hope that he's he's back on the upswing. So we've talked a lot recently about Danny's uncertain future and you know, how he hasn't been doing as well, but how about his bright shining moments? There are lots of them. He has been driving for a long time, arguably one of the most impressive being his Monaco victory in 2018. So just to set the stage a couple years prior, he was leading Monaco in 2016 and he went into pit, which turned into a 10 second pit stop because the crew didn't have his tires ready. We complain about Ferrari strategy and a lot of other things, but wow, was that a bad fumble for Red Bull. So 2016, he was leading, gave up the lead due to that pit stop fumble. But fast forward to Monaco 2018, he has a really impressive quality. He gets pole. He is leading the race on Sunday, and then he has power unit problems with around 50 laps still to go. So definitely the majority of the race. And with 50 laps still to go, he has only six gears for the rest of the race. Vettel is on his tail less than, you know, a second to less than a second behind him for basically the entire time. But he is still able to hold off Vettel and everybody else to take the win. I would say do yourselves all a favor by watching a replay of this race. It's absolute perfection in terms of navigating those corners and seeing Danny shine during his peak years. And that is also the iconic photo that you've seen of Danny in the pool in Monaco after that victory. That is from that year. Um, and I don't think we've seen a lot of of races like that where a driver is struggling with power unit problems and has to hold someone off perfectly with 50 laps still to go on the race. So I think that's just a testament to how amazing a driver Danny is and has been. Um, and I really hope to see him 
do more of that. He's not in as good of a car, but yeah, he's, he's definitely got it in him. So definitely go and watch that race. I think it's pretty amazing to see. And just one more race as we're on the Danny hype train. If we think about Monza last year in 2021, he had started the sprint P5, then started the race in P2 and had an amazing pass of Max into turn one and ended up winning that race with a stunning victory. So just another example of how Danny can really get after it when he has a good car or can make the most out of the car that he's in. Um, but yeah, that was an awesome race to see as well. I recommend watching the highlights. So let's talk about Danny a little bit off the track. He's a super active guy overall, obsessed with dirt bikes, motorbikes, love doing a lot of that stuff in his free time. He has been on a ton of podcasts. He was on one of my favorites, Smartless. He was just on Armchair Experts. Um, he travels a ton and tries to see a lot of the world um, instead of just going back to the hotel and the tr- and the track. And then a little bit about his personal life. So despite being super outspoken on Netflix, he actually keeps his personal life pretty much under wraps. A couple things we do know, he had a high school sweetheart girlfriend, but I guess they broke up a while ago after his F1 career started to take off. Last year, he was linked to an American-based actress and NYU student, New York repping, Heidi Berger, and they seem to be going steady. She lives in New York, but has been seen at a lot of races recently, including Miami and a lot of tracks far away as well, like in the Middle East. That's true love. Yeah. She's from Monaco, and she's the daughter of former F1 driver Gerard Berger, which is pretty cool. He drove for Ferrari and was also a race winner with McLaren. He was also Senna's teammate at McLaren for several years in the early 90s when McLaren won the Constructors. So there's some racing blood. Yeah, the F1 families run deep. Like we said, Danny off the track is super active. He also has this, his label, Rick 3. It's really interesting. It's not just like a merch line. It's an entire brand line. He has all these really awesome high quality goods. According to our inside sources, he's super deep in the creative of it all, which is really awesome. And we have to add the latest drop on Shantae is so cute. They have a lot of really awesome stuff. He said that the kind of Enchante line is from his love of the South of France after living in Monaco for 10 years and how it's kind of an inside joke with his friends about how he doesn't speak French but just thinks it's a cool fancy word that they like to say when they're (laughs) having a great time. So super fun. Definitely laying some groundwork maybe for post F1 life. I would love to see him as kind of a multi-hyphenate brand-esque person, which I think he's well on his way to doing. So along those lines, that's all from a recent interview he did with Dax Shepard on Armchair Expert, and Dax is a good friend of his. So they talked a little bit about his potential post-race life. Danny was kind of saying, once you've been at the top, you don't really want to be racing in in P20 in response to Dax saying, oh, wouldn't it be fun to just race forever? But it did kind of make it sound like Danny was going to keep going as long as he could at least fight at the top of the midfield or saw a path to doing so. So I think... Even if McLaren doesn't end up working out for next year, which Seidel kind of walked back Zach's comments recently, but it seems like he would probably move to another midfield team if possible instead of retiring. So I definitely, it it sounds like he has a while left in him in F1 and he's such a good ambassador for the sport that I feel like F1 should be doing whatever they can to keep him. Yeah, for sure. And I think our post Formula One predictions of what he's going to do, he'll probably have a compound in LA with a dirt bike track because he loves that. (laughs) Probably a ranch in Texas because he loves Texas, maybe an apartment in New York. I think this just goes into his 
general fandom, people in America love him and he seems to love America. He's all in for the Austin Grand Prix, killer personality, definitely knows how to play up his fame and his brand. He loves American sports and also the Buffalo Bills very randomly. (laughs) But he's so famous here that he said he had more PR and press requests for his time in Miami than at his home race in Melbourne, which is insane that's wild yeah Yeah. it's wild he just did an interview with gq and they called him america's first formula one superstar and that he basically won the whole drive to survive game which i think is really interesting um he doesn't seem to take anything too seriously people love that but before we wrap up i think the dts drive to survive debate is so interesting when it first came out mercedes and ferrari basically just refused to participate in the series um, and then enter Danny. He literally got like the first clip on the first episode and he's basically captured the ent- all the hearts of, of, of the Americans that have been watching it. Netflix now gives him his dedicated storylines and now all the other drivers are kind of like elbowing to try to get in and get some airtime. So <laughs> definitely won that game and he came out on top. We hope you guys enjoyed learning about him. We thought it would be a good time to teach you guys just about some of the some of the drivers, Danny being the first deep dive will do just because he is he is so great and is doing so much for the sport. So everyone have fun watching the Canada GP and we'll see you back next week. We'll be right back.